Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Shop, and with me as always are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hey there. Hey. So we do depend on your questions for this podcast, and if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it on along. And we do have a Patreon. We only have one level right now. We are simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfect first layer. So let's talk about what we've got going on in our labs. JJ hit it. I got a bunch of printing going on. Um, I feel like whenever I say I'm going to get something done, I don't get it done. So I can't promise any big reviews I'm working on, but a bunch of printer reviews I'm currently working on. So hopefully that can be later this week to get done. So which ones are they again? The Creality, I think, is first. The Creality Ender 5 S1. I think I'm putting that first on the priority. Then the Flying Bear Ghost 6, I think, is number two on the list. Yeah, I just I just watched uh, Nathan's review of that last night. Yes, yeah, it was very it's very positive. Was yeah, like, I tried to be thorough. Um, there's a lot to like about it. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's for its price. It's price, seems like it's a really specs. darn good printer. Right, it's like kind of the cheapest Core XY printer that I've seen. Yeah. So yeah. if flying flying bear, if you're out there listening. You know, please send one to the third member of yes. the Perfect First Layer podcast because I love to look at that stuff too. So, what about you, Nathan? Um, I've got kind of the same thing that JJ's doing going on. I've got um, printers in for review, just unboxing them, putting them together, seeing how they work. Um, I'm also working on an Ender 5S1 fan duct to kind of solve some of the issues that I had with that machine. We're really going to kick the performance up to the next level there. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm excited about seeing that. Oh, yeah, I'll send it over to you to try it out. And the other thing that I've got going is the Bamboo Labs P1P. I've been really taking that thing apart and <laughs> inspecting everything on it and going through a whole journey getting it working and kind of documenting all of my troubles along the way are you doing any mods to it or attempting to do any mods um i'll try to do some mods if it makes sense but from what i've seen it's not really designed for a modder's kind of experience it's like you know they give you this printer that works and if you want to do anything to it you're probably just going to end up doing more harm than good (laughs) (laughs) well a, a printer that's in perfect working condition what fun is that nathan right Right. Yep. So, um, I had some stuff going on. I I finished my Voron 0.2, which is very nice. It works really, really well. I'm, I'm really surprised at how well it works. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just nice. Do you know how long it took you to put that together? All said and done. I think I have about 15 to 17 hours in it. All right. That's pretty quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I was going to say that sounds like a long time. <laughs> you guys in the Voron community have a different uh, concept my, of time. The first build I did, I put a bunch of mods on there, and I know the mods took probably most of the time. So I would say okay. probably 40 hours to get me to for my 0.1 that I put together. Okay. I, the belted I, Z and the umbilical mod 
all the cable management and stuff that I did probably took half of that time. I didn't do anything out of the ordinary. I went, uh, I, I originally printed everything for the 0.1. And then as soon as I print that out, they announced the 0.2. And I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. So I reprinted everything. It said, you know, this is different. This, and I just said, you know, heck with it. I've got a, a roll of the filament. So I'll just go ahead and reprint everything, which I did. And I just followed the, the build step-by-step in the manual and it's an LDO kit. So it had a couple different ways of doing things, but LDO had really well-documented stuff for that. And I knew where to, where to go for, for that stuff. Um, it worked, it works really well. I'm, I'm really happy with the only thing I haven't done. I haven't put the panels on it yet because I'm doing something different and it's related to woodworking. I had to get that woodworking, that one woodworking thing in there. All right. So it's, it's related to that. So we didn't get any viewer questions this week, which kind of makes me sad. <laughs> so, Head over to Perfect First Layer and ask. Yeah, if you guys have questions, please. We, we really like answering your questions. I, I, I think it's really cool that, you know, you can write in and we can discuss your stuff. So... Nathan and JJ both sent some ideas of stuff we can talk about. And some of them we can actually have very long discussions about. Some of the things would, are not going to be have long discussions about. I think we can kind of do a, I don't want to say a rapid fire, but at least we can get some of these things out of the way. I think it'll be a good conversation. So <clears throat> this is the first one, and this is one of my favorite ones that everybody gets asked all the time. And this is from shoulder monster. And it says, or he asks, which printer would you recommend for first timers? Hey, like if you had to choose one with the knowledge you have now, yet was starting out again, which would you get? I'm willing to invest. I just want to make sure you get something worthwhile. So I'm going to shoot that to you, Nathan. Okay, so for me, um, it really depends on what your priorities are. Um, the first printers that I got were Ender 3s, and that was a really fun experience for me, getting those printers working. You know, they work pretty well out of the box, and then you kind of start seeing little things that could be improved or things that need to be maintained. And you get to slowly upgrade it and build it into this perfect little printer that you, you know all the parts of. And uh, I think it's pretty, it's a pretty good experience. Um, but if you just want something that works and is cheap, I would recommend something more like the Tronxy Crux or the Kingroon KP3S. Those will get you started um, at a much lower price point. And it's just a printer that you can just unbox, put together and start making some stuff without having a huge investment. And then if you want to do a lot of prints, um, I guess th this is the, the third category of people. If you want to just get something to print with and you don't really uh, want to spend too much time messing with the printer, I think the Bamboo Labs series of printers offers the best experience for that because you just get it. It's nearly fully assembled, and you can get printing at really high speeds pretty quickly. It's got a, a lot of capabilities that you won't get on most other 3D printers. And... Uh, it just kind of works right out of the box. Okay. Now, I've been documenting my experience with it, and I've had a, a couple of little issues with it. 
but overall, I think it's it it is a really nice machine, and um, it'll offer you a good experience. All right, that's that's a good answer. What about you, JJ? Yeah, I feel like I always go back to the the two questions: Do you want a tool or do you want a hobby out of this? Mm-hmm. If you're working for a business and you just want a tool, something that'll bang out prints, probably spend a little bit more and get something good. Currently, I would say the Bamboo Labs. P1P is a great option of, I haven't had that many issues with it. You just plug things in, get great prints off of out of it. It is more expensive. And so for a first printer, something at the cheaper range, if you're looking for more of a hobby, something you can upgrade. Uh, I've had a great experience with the King Rune KP3S, and they've got a few different versions of that now. Um, something you can get at a very cheap, like $200 price point, and then put some upgrades into it, put some mods into it, learn what every single part does to that printer, and like learn what printing is, I think, is a great... $200 is a great entry level, I think, for most people. Um, and then if you're going for a faster printer, then you can upgrade to something like a kit printer, like a Voron, Annex Engineering, Rat Rig, something like that, where you really put every single part together. Will You will learn so much about 3D printing by putting a printer together. Um, but sh- probably shouldn't be your first printer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I, pro- I agree with with all that. I don't have any experience with the the King Rune, um, so I can't really comment on that. I know the first printer I I got was the Ender Three V Two, and I'm actually pretty glad I got it for two reasons. For me, I need I bought it because I actually just needed a part printed. And that was the bottom line. And then I just kind of fell down the, the, the rabbit hole. Um, however, it worked fine out of the box for about the first eight or nine prints. And then things started going sideways. And the way my mind works, I'm not going to let a 200 or $300 piece of electronics beat me. So that's when I started really seeing what was available in the community for it, what I needed to do to fix it. And during that, you know, two weeks it was down and I was trying to figure out what to, what, how I was going to get it printing again. I learned a lot about 3D printers. Um, I'm still learning. I still know nothing. But um, for me, it was a very good experience. And I think an Ender 3 type machine, like an Ender 3 or Ender 3 V2, is a good printer all the way around. Because if you you have a printer like that, first it's a, it's a, it's a low uh, cost to entry. And it will teach you about 3D printing. And I think that's important. Um, how to use the machine properly, how to slice the machine, how to slice the models properly, how to fix the machine because we all know how wonderful Creality printers last and last and last and last. The way that I've thought about it, hearing you kind of discuss your experience with your Ender 3, is I think Ender 3s do a good job of gamifying the 3D printer experience. Like it, it follows the same principles that a good game design, uh, a good game designer will, will have. So you start out kind of at your beginner level and you, you know, you're just running along doing the tutorial missions or whatever. 
and just figuring out how things work. And then you get dealt a, a series of increasingly large challenges like, oh, well, the prints are looking bad because... Uh, I guess I just need to tighten up the belt. So how do I figure out how to do that? And then, then you learn how that system works. Then it's like, oh, now I have a nozzle clog. Uh, how am I going to solve that? And you, you learn how the, the nozzle works and how to clear jams. And it's just kind of ratcheting yourself up and you, you get new power-ups and unlock new abilities to print more and more. Versus if you get something like the, the, the Bamboo Lab, it's like starting out on the first level of a game with all the superpowers and you can just plow through everything. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I like how it's kind of this progression of learning and just kind of, it makes a really good hobby experience. I think. Yeah. Uh, the, I'm going to talk about the second machine I, I have also, which I still, still own, which was really instrumental in me thoroughly understanding how everything worked. I bought a Fizatech um, Prusa Mark III clone. I printed all the parts in PET-G on my Ender 3 V2. And you get, you're, given the, you're given this box of just basically nuts and bolts. And you put it all together. And it took me, you know, probably about 20, 25 hours to put it together. But at the end of it, I had a much better understanding of how 3D printers work and how one part affects the other parts. And it was extremely beneficial for me. Um, and it was fairly inexpensive. I, only th- I think it was like $230, which is yeah. cheap, really cheap, cheap. for such a good printer. Yeah, and it's I yeah. still have it. And I tell you what, it's still my, go- if I just want to print something and I don't want to have to mess around with anything, it's my go-to printer still. Because it, it just works. It just works. Yeah. I think um, with, with when you're building a kit printer, you have uh, kind of like a learning experience of dealing with 3D printed parts that are well designed. So if you're planning on designing your own 3D mm-hmm. models, just working with those parts and seeing how they do all the little tricks, like how they add fasteners and um, how they add threads into the, your parts and how you make them strong in certain directions. Um, you get a really nice up close and personal look at those kind of well-designed parts and you can carry that into your own designs when you're in a CAD program. Heat set inserts. Once you start using them, you'll put them in every design you ever design. <laughs> you're like, Oh, these are amazing. Yeah. And the, and the Prusa, they don't use heat set inserts. The hex nuts actually go down to the little slots that are built mm-hmm. into the, the, the component you're you have so it's not like on the outside it's on the inside which is mm. they actually work pretty well but the thing is if those prints aren't dimensionally accurate you're not getting those nuts you can't in slide there. it in and you're forcing yeah. it in and yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah a soldering iron always works yes. <laughs> it always wins when it goes up against plastic yes okay so this is a question that i just I saw it and I just said, oh, this is so choice. And this is mainly a question for Nathan. However, I think it's a good question all the way around. So if anybody has watched Nathan's videos, the question is, why do you torture yourself with Creality Printers? And I want to preface this by saying we are not 
bashing Creality in any way, shape, or form, but it is what it is kind of thing. So, Nathan, why, why do you do this to yourself? Well, I'm clearly just a glutton for pain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not for everyone, but um, I seem to really enjoy it. So I view getting a Creality printer as kind of like a puzzle or a challenge. Uh, just like, how do I start with this printer that works okay out of the box? Um, well, actually, they have pretty good print quality straight out of the box, but um, you know, eventually things start to work themselves loose and you end up having to fix things. And as you push the boundaries of um, like printing steeper overhangs and stuff, you start to really run into the limitations of the machine. So for me, it's like, you know, what can I learn from this experience of taking this printer from a base state and upgrading it to something else? Um, I've never built a printer like from a kit. I like having a starting point to work with so that I have something to compare it to and like know that I'm, I'm improving things over time. Uh, I think some, for some reason for me, starting with a kit, it just seems like a lot more uh, challenging to get going because there's a huge investment in time to get to square one versus with a, a printer that you start with, you know, it's like you can get up and running in an hour or two and then the real challenge starts. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's just, I really value the learning experience that I get out of working with these 3d printers and just seeing how they do things and understanding it at a base level being like, okay, I'm having this issue. How do I fix it? It's just like a, a really good exercise in engineering problem solving. Do you typically have more problems? I don't say, I don't say problems. Do you, do you typically find yourself having more challenges with the Creality printers than you do with, let's say, another brand? Um, I would say they all are about equal. Um, and that you're Creality. saying equal in that in that price range which um, is a two to four hundred dollar price range let's say basically every printer that i've ever used you end up having some kind of issues with it okay um with Fair print enough. quality or you know some part of maintaining or assembling it is difficult so i mean just go in with the expectation that you're gonna run into issues there's a couple of companies that are trying to change that like bamboo lab um but even with those printers, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm always looking for trouble <laughs> and trying to figure out, you know, where, where are the issues and uh, really diving in until I find something that's not right and then trying to fix it. Yeah. Uh, I think with, always the trying to optimize things of uh, finding those issues that could be better. There's always something that could be better, especially at a $200, $300 printer. Yeah. yeah. You dive into those. So uh, you, you've got that any cubic printer correct jj that you've had yes, for a long yeah. time the i3 mega s yeah and barely anything is stock in there i feel like i can't even call it an any cubic printer anymore it's, <laughs> it's a shankles printer now yeah did it did it have you know you, any different challenges after let's say a month of use that any other printer wouldn't have i i was really impressed with how good it was stock it was first year I didn't change anything. And then I started changing things just because I wanted to. Uh, I want to add auto bed leveling. I want to add a different hot end. Um, 
And I feel like all the upgrades have been, I want added features, not necessarily that I needed Need. them. Yeah. So I was impressed. I've been impressed with that one, but it's such an old printer, I probably wouldn't recommend it to anyone in 2023. Uh-oh. Uh, the... That that was not your first printer, correct? Uh, no, not my. F- I bought one right before that, but I only had it for a week before I returned it. What was that? It was a JG Maker Magic or something like that. <laughs> JG Magic, super cheap one, and the V-slot wheels were damaged when I put them on, and so it had a bump at a very distinct point across a print. <laughs> so I was like, this. I I wanted to upgrade to the two hundred dollar that one. Uh, any cubic so i was like let me just get that one let me send this one back so i send it back and got this you know i i i don't really have and i've I've talked about this before i don't have a huge frame of reference with a lot of other printers i've only really had four or five printers i'm starting to get more of them now because i'm starting to do some reviews on youtube but um you know for a long time i just had the the v2 I had the Prusa clone and I had my an Ender 5, uh, the original one that I've you know, just completely redone. And I love that thing to death. It's still mm-hmm. a great printer and I still use it all the time. Um, it probably has the best print quality out of any printer I have at home right now. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that includes the, the Bamboo Labs. Right. Um, one thing I noticed about my Bamboo Lab prints is they're very consistent at producing like a good print. But if you look closely at like how the layers stack on top of each other, it's not like those perfect lines like you can get if with a well-tuned Ender three or Ender five. Yeah, yeah. And the the reason I went with the Ender five because it it was not a bed slinger. Um, mm-hmm. I figured I could get better prints out, and it does. But it's it doesn't have anything original on it right now other than the frame and the V wheels and the motors. The, the board's been replaced. It's got a different hot end. It's got different blowers on it. It's just, it's a completely different animal. Um, but it does work really well. And yeah, I, I really don't know if I have anything bad to say about Creality. I mean, again, I don't really have a frame of reference. So I'm sure if, you know, let's say Tronxy sent me that one you guys are talking about, or King Rune, and I, and I got my physical hands on that. I'm sure I might have the same experience where after the first three or four prints, it's like, okay, now this is loose. I need to fix it. I need to track down what's wrong with it. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I feel like there's an interesting part of being a reviewer where every printer you get you really want it to be at this high level. But if you were to buy a printer, if I were to buy a printer myself, my first printer, those first issues you start solving and working through. Um, But also at a $200 printer, I wonder how much printer to printer variance there is Mm -hmm. of, I might get a really good one to show up at my door and Nathan gets a really bad one that shows up at his door. Right. No, it says it's the same printer. I mean, at a $200 price tag, there's not a whole lot of overhead there for quality control. Yeah. So I know that's a big problem with like pretty much every 3D printer brand. They'll have some machines that are great and some machines that are crap. And people that are will buy the same printer and they'll be like, I can't believe you're saying this is a good printer. This is awful for, for me. Yeah. And it's just printer to printer variants. And 
I think that's why it's important to learn how the stuff works and be able to fix it. Because uh, if you do get one that's bad, like it's up to you to get it up to snuff or return it. Yeah. 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 And I, I, like I said, I still think when you get in that price range, just about, they're all going to be very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start getting into the higher price ranges, you know, the seven, eight hundred thousand dollars that's really where the the rubber meets the road so to speak and you if you spend a thousand dollars on a printer you want it to be right that's not a thousand dollars isn't a ton of money but it's still not pocket change either yeah um it's it's still a lot of cash so all right here's another one this is a, a kind of a more philosophical question but I'm going to shoot to JJ first. Why print something you can just buy? <laughs> so I feel like my go-to example is uh, the watch strap on my watch. Or it's the little circle that holds the end of your watch strap down. And it broke one day. And I could have ordered one off Amazon. It would have been 10 bucks for a pack of two or three. Because that's the cheapest thing you can find on Amazon. And it would have taken three or four days. But instead, I Googled the part and found someone else who'd modeled one up, printed it off, and say 30 minutes later, I had a flexible TPU watch band on my, fix my watch. Um, yeah, cool. And it's one of those just like, oh, I could have paid $10 and waited three days, or it takes 20 minutes and 50 cents of filament to get that part yeah there's some things that can be printed pretty easily there's Mm -hmm. you know just about anything that that you can think of for the most part has already been designed already and there's an stl Mm -hmm. or a step file out there for it somewhere uh what what do you think about that nathan why why Um, print it when you can just buy it yeah personally i usually just buy things uh, (laughs) rather than printing them now that I have a, I mean, really, you need a printer just set up and running um, in order to have that be an attractive option to be an alternative to buying things. Mm-hmm. The issue with my lab is that all of my printers are disassembled, <laughs> all 10 or 20 plus of them. They're, they're all in pieces because I'm like, oh, well, let's see if we can add this on here. Uh, it didn't fit. Oh, man, where'd all those fasteners go? You, well, you, anyways, on to the next one. <laughs> you've got issues, young man. You really do. Yeah. So you're saying you have that many printers. If if you wanted to print something like right now, could yeah. you print it out? I could right now because I'm reviewing the Bamboo Lab okay. P1P and it's okay. it's ready to go. Um, How unusual is that? Unusual is that that you can actually print something now? Uh, I usually have one or two printers okay. going and okay. if, if one of them isn't working, then if I'm, if I'm all out of printers, then I'm just like, all right, well, next review, I'll print that out because <laughs> I'll at least have a working printer for the duration of the review. Yeah. Um, but generally I don't print things that I could otherwise buy because I'm mostly focused on printing things that I can't buy because, um, I, I have like a real background in CAD modeling and I, I love designing my own stuff. So um, when it comes time to make something with my printers, I'm like, all right, let's open up CAD and, and make it. I don't go to Thingiverse or or printables and 
start there, I'm just like, all right, what do I want? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of a fun process for me. I've been faced a couple times with things that I want to, I want to buy. I'm the same way, Nathan. I just much prefer to buy it or hire somebody to do something than have to do it myself. Um, but there are times when I need to buy something and it's A, not made or B, unavailable or C, just unrealistically expensive. You've got a, this little tiny plastic part that'll fit in the palm of your hand and people want $69 for it. And you're like, uh, uh, you just want to slit your wrists. So yeah. I've, I've got a couple things like that in the house. I, I, I go, I'm looking at right now, a, a cover that covers up my doorbell. You know, the house was built in the eighties. The doorbell was original. It hasn't been manufactured in 15, 20 years probably. And it broke and I couldn't find another cover for it. So i yeah. got a ruler and measured it and designed it up in, in SketchUp and printed the thing out. And within a couple hours, I had fixed it. Stuff yeah. like that is very cool. Yeah. Or the reason I got into printers to begin with, which is I needed the special part to build something that they didn't make. You need this part. They talk about this part, but it's just not available. And I found a guy that actually was 3D printing them and he wanted like 20 bucks for it. I'm like, no. So I, it's <laughs> a very simple thing. And I, I designed it and had it printed out. It was, yeah. it, it solved, for me, it solved a, it solved the problem. I think uh, one, one area where it can be really good to have a 3D printer is if you're like on an island or you live in a country that doesn't have, uh, it, where it's not easy to import things. Like yeah. I know some countries, mm -hmm. it's like a $40 minimum to import even a little piece of plastic. So if you have a 3D printer, you can save yourself some real money um, by just manufacturing things yourself. Yeah. So everyone's situation is different. I think being in the US and having Amazon Prime alleviates the need for a lot of the things that I would otherwise print. But uh, if you've got limited availability and it, it's the, the option that makes the most sense, then it's definitely the way to go. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to ask this question here. This is a fast answer, I think. But I'm going to ask it anyways. How much better is a Noctua than the stock fan and why? Nathan, yes. I, know, I know Nathan's got an answer to this. I've I'm only a big made Noctua about, fan too. A Noctua yeah. fan fan too. Right. Um, I've made about 10 or 20 videos on Noctua fan replacements in 3D printers. So I'm clearly one of their fans. Um, one of their fan fans? Yep. I'm a fan of those fans. So the thing about Noctua fans is they put a lot of uh, effort into designing them. Like they go through all sorts of optimization and adding these tiny little features that reduce the a quarter of a decibel of noise or change the harmonics of the fan just ever so slightly to make it more pleasant to listen to. So it's just like someone really took the time to make a really almost perfect design. And anytime you can get access to something like that and just, you know, 
bear witness to excellent engineering. I think that's something that you should do, especially because like if you buy a normal cheap fan, that's like the, the bare minimum requirements for a, a little cooling fan, those will usually be five to ten dollars. And a Noctua fan is fifteen to twenty dollars. So it costs a little bit more, but you get an awesome parts kit. You get all sorts of accessories and mounting plugs and adapters and stuff with the Noctua fans. And I think that alone pays for itself just from having those accessories on hand. But also you're getting that really good high performance fan that's basically as quiet as it can possibly be. There's nobody else that's in the game that's that's making fans like they are. Yeah. What's your thoughts on it, JJ? Yeah. I think they're great. Not great for every situation. Uh, sometimes you might need a fan that blows more air or something. Um, but I do think they are great. And they are 12 volt, which is another downside to them. Sometimes yeah. they can be more difficult. But I saw recently, I saw they have a 200 millimeter fan. And I've just been dying to think of an idea of how I can use that fan because it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've installed one of those on two of my printers. Oh, nice. Just put it over all the the main board and power supply and just oh, pull the yeah. fans out for those and replace it with a big fan. Uh-huh. It's super quiet and it just looks cool. So <laughs> Yeah. I've been using Noctua fans for probably 12 to 15 years. I've built hundreds of PCs and I found them a long time ago and I've been putting them in, in PCs that I'm building for a long time, mainly because they're quiet and I never had to worry about them after a year or two start making really bad noises. Right. The one in my, the, the ones in my workstation right now, it's gotta be close to 10 years old and it's still super quiet and I've been putting them in the the, the the printers to replace the a lot of the parts, mainly because of the they're quiet and I know they're a high quality piece of equipment. They are more expensive. The only thing I don't like about them is they are the most butt ugly color <laughs> I have ever seen. It's like Oh my yeah. God. Change yeah. the color of them. Yeah. Make them available in black or gray or something. I find it endearing at this point. Yeah. yeah I, like I feel like I've converted. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I, you show that everybody instantly knows it's an Octo fan. So I guess uh-huh. that is kind of their, their point, but still. It's like the G Wagon. It's not, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about uh, the cars. Yeah. A G Wagon. Like rappers. Yeah, you know, Kim Kardashian drives one around. It's a Mercedes. looks like a Jeep, but it's all blingy from Mercedes. Oh, no, I don't. Uh, who's oh. Kim Kardashian? But it's big, uh. big and ugly, but you know what it is when you see it. You're like, oh, yeah. Kim Kardashian is? is? <laughs> no, 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 no. The car. Not insulting <laughs> yeah. anyone here. So I've got some, you, you mentioned, Guy, um, the reliability. Mm-hmm. And that's the other reason why I think it's really mm-hmm. worth it to go, get a knock to a fan. Because there's a, a measurement in engineering called the mean time to failure mm-hmm. or mean time between failures. And basically that's a measure of how reliable something is. And Noctua has a claimed mean time between failures of 150,000 hours, which is over 17 years. Okay. So on average, if you buy a fan and you just plug it into the wall, 
it'll just run for 17 plus years. Well, that makes sense. I've talked about my fan that's been in my workstation now that is well over 10 years old. I yeah. never turn my PC off. It's right. on I, 24 hours a day. I've got a nine-year-old desktop PC with all Noctua fans, and they've all been in there and just never heard a single squeak out of any of yeah, them. Yeah, they're, they're, wow. they're really good. They're really um, good. And fun fact about that 17-year number. Um, so mean time between failures is 17 years. Noctua was founded 18 years ago. So we must have just <laughs> recently had the first failure of a Noctua fan due to, you know. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, do, you, That's do, you not... ever, do you ever use any other? The only time I, I find myself not using a knock to a fan is when I really just, I really need a 24 volt fan mm-hmm. right. or um, I need a blower fan, not yeah. a radial type fan, yeah. but a blower fan, mm-hmm. uh, like a 4015 or, or a 4015. Smaller or ones for the Voron V0.1 that I built. It needs oh, yeah. a smaller size to fit in there. The thirty tens. Yeah. Um. I yeah, and that's another time. I mean, I basically will prefer to use all Noctua fans, but if I need a blower, Noctua doesn't offer that, so mm-hmm. I'll usually go with Sunon. I I think they make some pretty good fifty fifteen blower fans. Yeah, I've never used one that big. I usually get the forty ten forty tens forty tens. I have two of them. They seem to work pretty well, but I never, well, I never, I'm never really going super fast. Well, when I send you my fan duct design, you're going to have to buy a couple 5015s. Oh, you're not going to send me the fans too? Uh, no, I, I can't email those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Prusa um, Mark III, uh, I3 MK3S, that uses a 5015 fan. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a pretty nice setup. I think. Yeah, but that fan, even on my thing there, on my uh, clone, it's five volt. Oh. It's super quiet. Yeah. Huh. All the fans on that machine are either 12 volt or five volt. So, That's an interesting choice. So I think uh, fans can be wound to, to run on any voltage. So the voltage doesn't determine whatever, but I mean, if they're picking quiet fans, then that's always going to be nice. Well, there's sometimes I'll I'll take like a 24 volt fan because that's really all I can get for a certain size or whatever application I'm using, and I'll put a buck converter on it and turn it down just to slow the fan down so it makes less noise. Like right. on my my Creality Ender Five S One. Pro, Max, Deluxe, whatever the hell it is. I put a, a fan inside the, the only fan I could find that would fit inside the power supply without cutting a big hole or mounting it outside of it mm. was a 60-20 fan that sits inside of it. But it's super, super loud. So I put just put a buck converter inside there and turned it down to like six or seven volts. You can't hear it. It's just super quiet. I think uh, the way that we control fans in the 3D printing uh, arena, I think is kind of like caveman style. They just turn the fan on and off and on and off and on and off to throttle it to the speed that you want. Um, I think nicer, like uh, Bamboo Labs, I'm assuming that they're, since they're so much smarter with a lot of the ways that they design things, they're probably using a proper PWM uh, control fan where you just, give it 
you know, positive and negative voltage. Then you have a third pin going into it that's giving it a signal telling it what throttle to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the type of fan that pretty much all ATX computers use. So if you have a desktop computer, yeah. they've got PWM fans that you can control the, the fan speed without having to turn it on and off. Um, and I'm actually working on something to be able to smooth out that voltage. So that's something I'm, I'm, I got some prototypes a in new, development. A new product? Yeah. Yes, oh, I can't wait. I, I can send you a prototype. I'm, I'm sending them out to nice. to some people. I, I really love the motherboard. That oh, thing, nice! That thing kicks butt, yeah. even though I blew up my board with it. <laughs> right, it still works really well now. Now it works yeah. really well. I'm still waiting for that scathing review. I you know, I, <laughs> it was my own damn fault. Yeah, well, I, can't, I can't knock somebody for something I broke. Yeah. So you just got to be careful not to short stuff. That's the main yeah, thing. Well, I did. So <laughs> here's a, here's, here's a question that I think we've, there's, a, there's about a dozen things on the sheet that I have in front of me. And a lot of the stuff has been answered and stuff we've talked about in the, during the, during the, uh, the bulk of this podcast podcast. So there's one question though, that did not come up. And it says, it's from Dan Coe. It says, what's your views on the best fast printers? Voron versus FL Sun versus Bamboo, etc. What do you think? Well, I think the best fast printers are the ones that are, that don't necessarily have to go fast. <laughs> like, I, the, my question is, do you need a fast printer? Uh-huh. Because I, I think there's only two situations where you actually need a printer to, to be fast. One is you're in production and you're trying to crank out as many parts as possible. So more speed is more money for you, in which case, you know, makes sense to have a fast printer. The other case is if you're in a design studio and you're rapidly iterating through designs and you that's actually shortening your development cycle by having a fast printer. Um, and then I guess there's a third case that I don't like to acknowledge, but it's definitely there. And the third case is you just want a fast printer and it's cool and you, it's you don't like waiting for your it's parts. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. It's really fun to watch it like clatter around and just spit parts out. <laughs> <laughs> JJ? Oh, yeah. Um, I think my... The two that I've used, I haven't used a ton of super fast printers, but the Voron or kit printer side of things or Ratreg, Annex Engineering, those other kit side high-end printers or the Bamboo Labs has been the other one that I've been super impressed with how quick they could spit out parts on that printer. Um, Those are my two sides and they're very different sides of what you want out of a printer. Uh, Voron is a kit. You got to spend 40 hours putting that thing together versus the bamboo labs will be 30 minutes out of the box. You'll be spitting out fast prints. And so two different sides of the hobby, I would say. Yeah. 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 Which, which, which do you prefer? Uh, the bamboo labs is what I go to of. It okay. just keeps working. Okay. With the boron. If I want to modify something or change the fan duct or change this or that. So or it's a I tinker. Do- it's for tinkering. If I want to put a weird nozzle in, I have a big 1.8 millimeter nozzle on the Voron because I can go in there and change the firmware. On the Bamboo Labs, I can't change the firmware. 
It's closed. And when there's an issue with the bamboo labs, it's like, well, I got to wait for the next, the, the slicer face mode isn't working right now. It just sort of crashes for me. And so I got to sit here and wait for the next update. Um, and hopefully they'll fix ha- it. Hopefully they'll have it in the next issue. Update. Yeah. They're pretty good about fixing issues, but yeah. it is frustrating to come across a roadblock and have to wait for someone else to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of a DIY, you know, like you see a bump in the road and you just drive straight over it and start <laughs> pulling parts off the printer. Yeah. Um, so for me, I really like the Bamboo Lab experience, just being able to print it out and have a part and evaluate whether it works or not and move on from there. Um, but I will, I, I think people aren't really talking about the downsides of, of speed printing. Basically, you, I think you, I, I need to do some research on this and maybe produce some test data, but I think you necessarily end up with a weaker part when you print it faster hmm. because you're cooling the print off at a super high speed and you're printing, you know, like the layer you're printing on top of is cooled to the point where the next layer isn't going to stick as well because it's already cooled down so much when you've got those massive fans blowing on it and you're just trying to um, go as fast as possible. And I've noticed on my Bamboo Lab prints, they snap apart at the layer lines more easily than my slower, more deliberate prints do. Yeah, I, I can't really attest that. I don't deliberately try to break the parts I print. Oh yeah, like I, I just don't deliberately yeah. try to break my printers. Yeah, so I I'll print something out, <laughs> take the calipers to it, make sure it turned out how I want to, and then I'm like, all right, this is useless to me, so I'm just gonna break it apart like a little piece of pasta and see, you know, how strong is it over here? How strong is it over there? Well, if if I ever want a question or answer to a question like that, and I'm gonna plug another YouTuber, that's Stefan from CNC Kitchen. Mm-hmm. He does some great technical deep dives into stuff like that does it hasn't he done a thing about layer lines and strength before i i remember seeing a lot of breaking so yeah 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 he's done a lot of videos on um like pulling prints apart doing Mm -hmm. tensile tests and all that kind of thing i'm not i don't think he's done one specifically on speed printing but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had one in the works at this point because uh, speed printing is such a hot topic right now. But I don't think people are really considering the pros and the cons. Yeah, I, I've I said this before. I've never been really – I've never cared very much if a print mm-hmm. takes eight hours or two hours. I just want – because a lot of the stuff I'm printing, I'm more worried about dimensional accuracy. And that's why I use my – I use my Ender 5 – that I've customized quite a bit, um, mainly because if I print it and I need something to fit inside another thing, I know those parts are going to fit, mm-hmm. um, which to me is very helpful. I only print PLA on that machine, so it's single purpose, but it works really well. And it, it takes, you know, I, I have it set to go like forty to sixty millimeters per second. It's slow, man. <laughs> it's yep. really slow. Yeah, you get a lot of things going on when you print fast. Like uh, um, the main one for me is, I, I don't know, I, I, I really need to do some more testing to really well, just give us your, speak more authoritatively. Yeah, well, you know, it, nobody's going to hold your, your feet to the fire over any information you might have. All right, so, so here's, my, 
here's my hypothesis is there's a couple of things going on from like a material science point of view. When you're trying to bond two pieces of plastic together and you're like melting them and putting them in close proximity, like when you're laying layer on top of layer, you want that the interface between those two pieces of plastic to stay at an elevated temperature for more than a couple milliseconds. You know, you want it to just kind of soak and have the heat mm -hmm. thoroughly melt those two layers together. But if you're if you lay something down and you cool it off instantly, then it's not going to bond as well. I mean, think about it. If you're trying to hot glue something and really get it to stick together, do you want to move the hot glue gun slowly and deliberately and soak the heat into one small, like, you know, what you're trying to glue together? Or do you just want to squirt some hot glue over the top and slap something on there? Like yeah. you're going to get two different results based on the speed at which you're doing things. Well, that, that, that makes sense. I don't see why that would not be true. Yeah. That's why we need test data because it sounds good either way. You could be like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how it could not. Yeah. Huh? And then, no. then there's the, uh, the other part as I think you end up with um, more internal stress. Uh, so the parts end up, like tempered glass, when you break it, it just shatters um, because you've got high internal stresses. When you soak the heat into something and let it cool off slowly, um, you end up with a more even shrinkage and less uh, thermal stresses. Like the best thing to do is to print in an enclosure so that everything cools off kind of more slowly. Even PLA? Yeah, every every material, even PLA, if you're if you put it in an enclosure at a slightly elevated temperature, it'll probably end up being a little bit stronger. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why that's that's one of the many reasons why people will anneal parts. So, like, you'll print them and then just like put them in an oven and let them cook a little bit and melt and relieve the internal stresses, and that just makes the parts stronger. Yeah. All right. But I wonder the the counter argument to that is mm -hmm. how strong do you need prints to be? Right. Of like most parts I have, it's like uh, it's how strong does that like Pokemon a, thing have to be? This thing, or, yeah, the Pokemon <laughs> I have printed, they're not that strong. Or this like little iris drawing tool I just made a video on. Yeah. It's like it doesn't. It's not you know holding a truck up or you know a, yeah. it's not a tow hitch. Still, it's, I it's I, I think I think if you're building parts you know, practical printing for, for practical mm. use. Some of that stuff might be very helpful. So it's like, okay, I'm yeah. going to print this. So I'm going to go into my settings on my bamboo printer that can print at mm -hmm. 300 millimeters per second. And because of the wonderful work that Nathan did, I'm going to yeah. slow it down to 80 because I know uh -huh. the print's going to be stronger. So yeah. I think that is good to know. Yes. Right. You might not and always use it, but it's, it's there. Yeah, I need to get a nice test setup like uh, like what Stefan has, yeah. or you know, he can get really good data off of the, the machines that he's using. I set something up earlier about uh, maybe a year and a half ago, where I had a um, a, a sit stand desk leg, so you know, it's just like a, a linear actuator that's pretty strong, and I tied some samples in there with shoelaces and turned it on and had it pull things apart. Eventually it broke when I tried to pull apart some uh, carbon fiber reinforced nylon. That stuff's really strong. It's like two to three times stronger than PLA. So it ended up overwhelming the machine. 
But I, I used to work in a test lab, so I'm really into doing this kind of data collection. It's just yeah. you got to have the right equipment to be able to collect data. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoy other people doing that, right. giving me the test data. Yeah. I think it's like, just give me a graph. That's what I really, really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Give me the graph. Tell me what infill to use is best, and yeah. I'll just use that one. Right. I just want to Google it and get an answer. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think that was actually a very good conversation. I think uh, we yeah. answered a lot. We had some really good talking points about a lot of different things. And uh, I think we should do that again sometime instead of just having one or two subjects in mm-hmm. long format. So, well, thanks, guys. And remember, we really need questions and participation from you, the listener. So make sure to go to Perfect First so make that. <laughs> So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you at? Um, look me up on YouTube. It's Nathan Builds Robots. And uh, you'll see all my crazy printer reviews and you'll see me break things unnecessarily and fix things unnecessarily. So it's a good time. Yeah. yeah. JJ? And you can find me at YouTube at JJ Shankles. You find mostly shorts, but hopefully to get back into reviews and more long form videos soon. Yeah, I, I hope to see some of those. Uh, I can be found on most social media plat- platforms at Guys Woodshop. So just search for that and you'll find me. Thanks so much for listening and uh, we'll see you guys next time. All right, see you. Bye.